Today I'd like to speak about the struggles of life. Life holds many struggles for us, and indeed, life itself is a struggle, right from the start. We struggle to be born into this world, and then we struggle to overcome the many obstacles to survival and security and satisfaction. There are the natural or outer struggles that we all have to deal with. And they belong to the outward circumstances of our lives and they're in front of us every day. And there are the spiritual or inner life struggles that challenge us to grow in faith and trust in God. Our life is a journey in which we learn to know the difference between the outward struggles and the inner spiritual struggles. And we learn to choose which are the struggles worth having and which are not. Now, there are many stories in the Bible, and they're in the Old Testament, and some are in the Gospels, which were preparing us for the understanding of the New Testament truth of having both the natural and the spiritual natures within us, and how spiritual transformation by the work of the Holy Spirit is from the natural self that started with Adam into the spiritual self that was given to us through Jesus. That is actually the message of the gospel, Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. Our natural self struggles with our spiritual self because both of these selves that are within us since Jesus have different desires. The Bible says that in the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, verse 17. It says the good things we want to do when the Spirit has his way with us are just the opposite of our natural desires. These two forces within us are constantly fighting each other to win control over us, and our wishes are never free from their pressures. Now, one of these stories that I mentioned in the Old Testament and some in the Gospels, is like a parable of the two souls within. And it starts in Genesis chapter 25 with a struggle between the natural and the spiritual cells within. In the story of the struggle between the twin boys, Jacob and Esau, who even at their birth, appeared to be struggling and the struggle was to see who would be the first one to arrive into this world. The Bible says first the natural and then that which is spiritual. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now Esau was the first of the boys to be born. First the natural, then the spiritual. But at the time of birth, Jacob could be seen grasping onto Esau's heel as if to say, out of my way, I want to be first. Well, he would have his time. These boys were the sons of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nations. Abraham was told by God that his descendants would inherit the land of Canaan, the promised land. So as tradition had it in those days, the firstborn son of Isaac received that 
patriarchal blessing that came down from Abraham. And that was revered as the highest of spiritual blessings. Esau was in line for he and his descendants to inherit all the promises given to Abraham and which is passed on to us, by the way, spiritually through Jesus, the spiritual blessings. This inheritance was to be imparted at the end of Isaac's life. And when it was time to pass it on, one day while Esau was out hunting, Jacob cheated his blind father. Isaac had gone blind. He couldn't see the difference between the two boys. So Jacob cheated his blind father and his older brother Esau, who was out hunting. His mother Rebecca helped him in this little contrivance so that he would smell like and feel like his older brother Esau. And so he'd fool Isaac into thinking that he, Jacob, was the firstborn son Esau. So when Isaac reached out to lay his hands on Jacob to impart the spiritual blessing, he thought it was Esau and this blessing was passed on to Jacob and it could never be reversed. The Bible makes that clear. However, Esau and Jacob had two very different longings in life. Esau was a man of the natural, the outdoors, who loved to hunt and to acquire the things of this world. And that is what he struggled for. While Jacob had a heart after God and longed to achieve the spiritual blessings of Abraham. And that is what he struggled for. In fact, Jacob probably shouldn't have even felt too guilty because of coming into that blessing. Because one day, when they were younger, Jacob had even negotiated for Esau to swap his firstborn patriarchal blessing for some measly soup of Jacob's that Esau couldn't take his eyes off. Their future life choices had already been embedded in their hearts. But when Esau finally found out that Jacob had actually received the blessing in the way that he did, he was furious and he set out to kill him. So Jacob's next struggle was to escape the wrath of Esau. Isaac stepped in, Dad. And he reassured Jacob that it would all be okay. And he sent Jacob away, telling him to head for Haran, to visit his uncle Laban, who had two daughters, Rachel and Leah. So soon into the journey, Jacob stops at a place called Bethel, rests his head upon a rock, gets a vision of a ladder going up into heaven. And there, up there at the top of that ladder, he gets a vision. And despite the conniving struggle of Jacob to acquire the blessing, God, in that vision, speaks to Jacob. And he honours Jacob's longing heart for that spiritual blessing and confirms the blessing of Abraham to him with all of the promises of being a father to all of the Jewish nations. Jacob went through further struggles to obtain his two wives, Leah and Rachel, 
and he had to struggle against their father, Laban, so that he could ultimately be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. But that was done. And then much later in his life, could have been 20 years later, on his journey back to the region of his inheritance with his wives and families and servants and cattle, he had another struggle. His final struggle was his wrestle with God who appeared in the form of the angel of the Lord. And Jacob was on his own. He'd sent his wives and others to go on before him. And he told God, as he stood there, toe-to-toe with this angel, he took a hold of him and he said, I'm not going to let you go and I'm not going to stop struggling until you bless me. Now such was his longing for God's blessing and his holding on that God, and they went right in through, through the night, God finished the bout by touching Jacob's hip putting it out of its socket, leaving Jacob with a permanent limp. God then renamed Jacob Israel, which means having power with God. And it means he who struggles with God and prevails. God used those words over Jacob to change his name from Jacob to Israel. So when we compare the struggles of Jacob and Esau, we see these two longings struggling within us. They represent the two sides of us, the two natures, our Jacob self and our Esau self. They each wanted different types of blessings, those two men. Esau reached out eagerly to struggle for worldly blessing to fill his life, while Jacob reached out eagerly to struggle for spiritual blessing to fill his life. Now, everybody has to deal with the outer struggles of life. And for most people, this is the only struggle that counts because it mostly deals with the material things of life that they need and want. These things include physical health and well-being, financial security, uh, leisure and recreation, and aspirational goals of personal achievement. Now, we all struggle for many of these things, but they are not our highest order of struggle. They're not wrong, it's just that's not the highest order. Most people try hard and struggle against the challenges to achieve results, and they expect to get them, and they're pleased when they do. They expect challenges, and they expect competition, and they adjust their goals and expectations as they go. We all learn how to manage the world's systems, and some do better than others. And some prosper for the right reasons. They get God to bless that area of their life. And others are greedy and still prosper, but for the wrong reasons. In this world of outward struggle, there are always disappointments and frustrations. And we all do our best to learn to live with them. These things are all part of the outer struggle of the circumstances of this world. And they are different to the inner struggle of the spirit. We all have both of these struggles waiting for us to engage with. But most people ignore the inner struggle of the spiritual life 
that we've been given to live. They think that everything depends upon the management of the outer struggle of life, to have what we need or want or demand. And having that outward struggle in the life really is always presenting to us the challenge of seeing how to overcome that outward struggle by coming into a new way of life which is allowing God's life to flow through us. Because he says, you seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. But that is a spiritual struggle, even getting to that point of knowing that that's what God wants to do. As I said, most people ignore that side and they just see the life with the circumstances as being the only struggle. But the inner struggle is a struggle in itself, holding on to God. So the Bible here, now let's sum up. It's telling us that we have both an outer and an inner struggle in a natural life and in an inner spiritual life. As we read before, I read it, that scripture from Galatians chapter 5, these two forces within us are constantly fighting. Each one wants to win control over us and our wishes are never free from their pressures. And speaking about the things the Holy Spirit wants to bring us into and the things that our self, in its desires, its longings for the things of the world, want to bring us towards, draw us into. Now, by the grace of God, we come to a time when the Esau nature in us to win the outward struggle yields to the Jacob nature in us to win the inner spiritual struggle. And there are stories in the Bible of this change happening in the lives of people who are challenged to let go of the old life and take on the new. And Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, showing us how a young man who had given himself to the longing for the things of this world would come to the end of himself eventually. He'd humble himself, get a change of heart and a change of mind and humbly decide to return to his father. There's also the story of Saul, the Pharisee, who was once arrogantly proud of his religious credentials and who was cruelly persecuting the followers of Jesus when he was stopped in his tracks by a blinding light on the road as he was travelling to go and do more persecuting. And he saw a vision of Jesus who spoke to him with words that penetrated his heart, turning his life around to fully follow him. And when Jacob struggled with God and had his hip joint put out, Jacob's heart was filled not only with blessing, but with a desire to walk with God. And so he did walk with God and ended up walking with a limp. The limp reminded him that every step he took showed him his own human weaknesses and his dependence upon God's strength. And it reminded him of his commitment to go through any struggle to receive the blessing of God in his life, over and above any blessing that the world could offer. That is a shadow of the longing of the Holy Spirit 
to give us that desire to struggle for the blessing of living out from the inner life of Jesus within us. The Holy Spirit shows us that we also walk with the limp of weakness, our weakness, our humanity, and we struggle to hold on to God as our strength. The struggle to hold on to God also involves the letting go of things in the world. It is hard to hold on to two things at once, like holding on to God and holding on to resentment and other harmful attitudes in the heart. Those are the things of the world. We end up letting go of one or the other. I want to read you a little excerpt from a book by C.S. Lewis called The Problem of Pain. It was written around about 1940. It has very quaint language, but it speaks of the lesson that this man learned about holding on to God, putting first things first. I'll read. My own experience is something like this. I am progressing along the path of life in my ordinary, contentedly fallen and godless condition, absorbed in a merry meeting with my friends for the morrow, or a bit of work that tickles my vanity today, a holiday or a new book, when suddenly a stab of abdominal pain that threatens serious disease or a headline in the newspapers that threatens us all with destruction, sends this whole pack of cards tumbling down. At first I'm overwhelmed, and all my little happinesses look like broken toys. Then slowly and reluctantly, bit by bit, I try to bring myself into the frame of mind that I should be in at all times. I remind myself, that all these toys were never intended to possess my heart, that my true good is in another world and my only real treasure is Christ. And perhaps, by God's grace, I succeed and for a day or two, I become a creature consciously dependent on God and drawing its strength from the right sources. But the moment that threat is withdrawn, those physical threats, my whole nature leaps back to the toys. Thus the terrible necessity of tribulation is only too clear. God has had me for about 48 hours and then only by dint of taking everything else away from me. Let him put that sword back in its sheath for a moment and I'll behave like a puppy when the hated bath is over, I shake myself as dry as I can and race off to reacquire my comfortable dirtiness, if not in the nearest manure heap, at least in the nearest flower bed. And that is why tribulations cannot cease until God either sees us remade or sees that our remaking is now hopeless. So we see the struggle that that Christian man went through, knowing that those struggles, the worldly things, drove him into a struggle with God, where he surrendered things. And then when the threat was over, 
the Esau thing came back. That's my that's my interpretation. The Jacob self gets overtaken by the Esau self, but he knows that he has a choice to be consciously holding on to God, and that's the point. It is a now moment. So in the world of the outer struggles against the tribulations of this present time of global pandemic, I'm bringing it right into now, where everything has changed everywhere, for everybody, at the same time, we are seeing an increase of fear and anxiety in many people concerning the necessary things of life, the safety and security and well-being. This is changing the nature of people's expectations. What and who do people trust? This brings people to a point of choosing what kind of struggle to take on. And that choice is all about what to hold on to and what to let go of. You can't hold on to two things at once. Esau's struggle was to conquer life by holding on to his own strength and not letting go of the things of the world that end up bringing so much stress and anxiety and reaction. The Bible calls Esau a profane man, which means not having regard to the things of God. And it warns us not to go the way of Esau. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, it says, Watch out that no one becomes careless about God as Esau did, he traded his blessing as the oldest son for the pleasure of a single meal. When people are not able to let go of things or are deprived of things, things they want or demand to have, that brings resentment. And we're seeing much of this in these days, these days of calamity in which we live. And what we see coming out of people is a reaction to blame someone. But being able to let go of things willingly brings freedom and peace. And the response is to thank someone, not blame someone. That's holding on to God, letting his response be there, to be able to accept things, let go of certain things, and let God flow through and lift us above them. That's what it meant when Jesus said, I've overcome the world. He's above it and he lifts us above it. Jacob knew that life was a struggle anyway. So why not let holding on to God be the struggle of his life? He learned to be able to let go of anything, but never to let go of God. Christianity is not about avoiding a struggling life. It is about avoiding a wasted life. It will mean holding on to God in times of uncertainty and times of difficulty. But it also means holding on to a whole lot of faith and a whole lot of hope. We don't try to make the Esau in us become polite and caring and never get resentful or angry. Esau has to get out of the way for Jacob. It was Jacob who stood toe-to-toe with God and understood that his weakness was the welcome sign for the strength of God to possess his heart and his mind. Same for us. 
if our hope is the same as the hope that the world has, then there's no basis for anyone in the world to ask us the reason for the hope we have. What do we say? I think we, we can say, my hope, I'm holding on to God. You can start there and then let the Holy Spirit guide what other words come out as would fit the occasion. In the epistle of Peter, 1 Peter 3, verse 15, he says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Holding on to God is not a passive waiting around for something to happen. But it is a holding on to a loving Jesus toe to toe with a full hope and expectation of God bringing his loving goodness into our lives and working all things together for good. I just want to read this scripture from Romans, the blessing of Paul. It's in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.